0: I would hate for the regret of our generation to be that we went through this moment of great fragility and didn't take the greatest risks of our lives. As we entered the 21st century, it was widely heralded that creativity is the number one skill that we all need. right? But as I look around me, or more importantly, as I think to the young people who my work has mainly been dedicated to, or even my children, I don't think they see a world which rewards creativity. I think they see a world which rewards conformity.
1: Welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. I'm joined today by the wonderful Sam Conniff, uh, best-selling author of Be More Pirate and now writer, producer, director of The Uncertainty Experts. Welcome, Sam.
0: Thank you, Craig, very much indeed. That title sounding... (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> far grander than it feels right now, but thank you very much indeed. Um,
1: let's let's start by uh, talking a little bit about this weird period that we've uh, been through and kind of still in, in a, in a way, because uh, it's, it's one of the, the topics that you are talking a lot about at the moment, the, the sort of uncertainty tunnel, this ambiguity uh, that we live in. Um, what are your reflections on uh, the ups and the downs of COVID?
0: I think that it's really important to remind ourselves that whilst you know the the reality of the human experience is what's most interesting to me there uh, the narrative of how we 'll play this back you know we'll see what's we'll see what it looks like over time but to me this didn't feel like a Uh, just an ordinary crisis for one thing it's really a crisis within a crisis within a crisis within a crisis because they're all interconnected right there's an economic crisis which we kind of tend to forget about there's uh brexit which the name distracts from the fact that actually it's a kind of geopolitical socio-economic loss of faith in democratic structures that were fought so hard for over such a long period crisis and that obviously sits within a climate and uh ecological absolute crisis each one connected to another one distracting from the other so remembering that I find both overwhelming, but also useful. And it brings us back to, this is also a human crisis. This is a human made moment where we are at the, depending on who you want to listen to, but largely from the IMF to the economists agree, the most uncertain period of human existence. And to, to answer the first part of the question, the opportunity that I think is, I would hate for the regret of our generation to be that we went through this moment of great fragility and didn't take the greatest risks of our lives that we accepted backward-looking narratives like new normals or building back better and, and, and didn't accept or uh, rather admit that normal was the problem in the first place. The, the unfair imbalance has, has been part of what's led to the crisis we face. And to hark back to that is understandable, but undeniably the biggest regret I think we would, could have in our lives.
1: I, I find this fascinating, this concept that, um, that uncertainty and uh, everything that most, most of us would think of as sort of negative period to be uh, actually a positive and an opportunity. Um, can you talk more about that? Sure
0: thing, yeah. There's, um, I mean, it's uh, University of Tokyo, uh, backed by different universities around the world, piece of research that pulls on the notion that uncertainty is the number one driver of anxiety globally. Um, uncertainty triggers feelings of exhaustion. Um, of discontent. You feel uncertainty. People, you know, we, we, a lot of us will know, know about the VUCA framework, the volatile, uh, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world. But of all those things, uncertainty stands alone because it's the thing that we feel as well. And yet at the same time, moments of profound uncertainty drive innovation, creativity, and imagination amongst human beings like nothing else. Like, and usually the atonyms of the circumstances. So cholera gave us clean streets, You know, And uh, the Great Depression gave us huge amounts of innovation and business, and COVID gave us us back-to-back Zoom calls. I'm not completely sure of what the benefit of COVID is yet, but um, there will undoubtedly be huge amounts of innovation that come out at these moments. So it presents itself as a choice. Uncertainty is certain. The 2020s are referred to as the decade of disruption. Most people predict the greatest uncertainty facing humanity ever. We nearly had a nuclear war in January, we've just found out. and so if it is this crossroads, if it is this juncture, how do you get to decide whether it's breakthrough or breakdown? Like, surely that's something we
1: want to play a fine. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So the, um, the Uncertainty Experts, this is a, um, this is a new uh, product, or I guess it's, a, it's a, uh, more than a product, isn't it? It's an interactive documentary. Can you talk more about that? I should, I should mention also, Sam, that uh, this is not sponsored. Um, I'm actually going to uh, undertake this, uh, this course that you're offering. Um, and I'm paying full, full uh, whack for it uh, with my team.
0: Um, thanks. And thanks for taking the risk on it. And, and I really appreciate it when you got in touch and said you wanted to come aboard. Um, and it's, it's, it's tough because I'm calling it an online interactive documentary because that's kind of what it is. Um, but it's kind of difficult to sell, right? Because no one really knows what that is. Um, and that's often the message you get. If you see much of the social media I've posted around it, people are like, this is Fucking cool, Sam, but what is it? <laughs> um, you know, it started out life. Um, it started out life as a blog post that I wrote because I was so frustrated looking out on the daily briefings. My life really took a tumble during the panic of the pandemic. My business model as an author was based on workshops and talks and, and, and a really flexible life because I'd recently become a single parent and, and my domestic burn rate was incredibly high. And so suddenly my world fell apart and I tumbled into debt. And uh, just a feeling of discombobulation like I haven't known, right? Uh, From my years running Liberty, which was a a success, and Don't Panic, which was in its kind of entrepreneurial phase in the book, and suddenly, like, total freefall, financially and professionally. And looking for answers, looking for leadership that was honest enough to say we don't really know what we're doing was not what we were being given on a kind of mainstream societal level, for sure. And so I did some interviews with some, I did a lot of work in the justice system. I know you've done an awful lot of work with young people. So you know, as well as I do, there's, there's great natural resilience in a generation who are very often just criticized, misunderstood and overlooked, right? We both know that. And I know your work um, inside and outside of your professional role does that. And I ran this series of interviews with guys who are ex-prisoners, and they've gone into starting their own businesses, because that's a big part of my work at Liberty. And i typed it up and i just published it on medium it was nothing special i just called it uncertainty experts lessons from lockdown and the piece went viral i got loads of responses from people saying could you run out something with my team we're, we're trying to go beyond resilience and i started interviewing other people who, whose daily lives are around uncertainty so refugees some people who've been in prison some people who'd had addiction issues mental health issues and so just getting to the end of the week right was a big deal but they had really great coping strategies for uh uncertainty and if you remember at the time we've got boris johnson charles valance you know in fact at the time i remember looking up the the cabinet office was being heralded as the most diverse of all time and it's not to be overlooked right they were it was the most gender diverse and ethnically diverse but it only had three career paths finance law and media so the daily uncertainty is what interested me so i ran these interviews and i started fumbled them into a bit of an online workshop i started messing with this technology to make it more interesting and I started videoing remotely getting remote teams in different countries from uganda to pakistan to the states using this technology to bring the interviews into it as, as, as we can show you and then hacking bits of interactive technology so you'll meet and we, we've got a clip in a second from a guy called Carl loco he's a great example of the story He's familiar to you and me from the kind of work that we've done. He was involved in gangs as a young man growing up and has managed to leave that world, create gang intervention programs, and actually gone on to become a very successful businessman in his own right. He runs a multi-million pound social investment fund for other young black entrepreneurs. You can see him at Prince Harry's wedding or out with Richard Branson. I mean, guy really flying and deserves to be. And the definition I created of an uncertainty expert is someone who's developed these profound skills being a success in an uncertain world. So success is morally ambiguous if you're a drug dealer, but it's success nonetheless, it's a, it's a sophisticated industry in which to be. Success as a refugee, success as a prisoner, these are all relative terms. But they use the skills for overcoming uncertainty that they learn in the shadows to become leading light. So they were also a success in the world that we recognize, so double success. You know, One in a world we know is hard and one in a world that we don't know, but we do know it's, it's hard. Um, And then I look for consistencies and similarities in a framework, which I found very, very clearly. They all had the same approach to fear. They had the same approach to getting through confusion. They had very similar approaches to getting out of that feeling of stuckness that uncertainty can create. And so I created this technology, which means that as you watch the clip, you get presented with their story and it's synaptically engaging. storytelling is, is beautiful. It's not like any leadership thing you've ever heard or any textbook you've ever read. And then you're hit with a question and they're asking you the question. It arrives on your phone and you have to respond. You know, there's no, there's this space, I hold space, uncomfortable, awkward space where you have to ask this question. And then we move on. So it's 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 one of the, there's a really lovely review that says it's part documentary, part workshop, part I don't know what, and part group therapy. And I was like, yes, that's that's basically it.
1: (laughs) Well, tantalise, I'm really looking forward to it uh, now. I think we're doing ours in in November. Uh, Anyone uh, watching, if they want to uh, take part, what's the best way of doing that?
0: Um, just go to uncertaintyexperts.com. We've, um, we're using a live streaming uh, platform, so you can get your tickets there. It'll send you calendar invites three consecutive weeks, November the 9th, 16th and 23rd is episodes 1, 2 and 3. There's three screening times, so depending on what time zone you're in or what time of day is good for you, depending on your parenting or professional choices, um, 9 a.m., 5 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. There is no catch-up. There is no recording. There's no late admission. It's like the old days, before we had recording devices and streaming services, we have to show up. It's a live event, and we're going to work hard, and we're going to have to do that together.
1: Amazing. You've said that a few times. I'll, um, uh, in this recording, I'll <laughs> put the details uh, below. Um, fantastic. And, uh, you've got a clip, right, uh, of, yes. of Carl? Yes. You talked about all that. So let's take a risk and see if we get the technology to work. What do you think?
0: Don't you worry. We can make that work. Here we go. This is Carl Loco.
1: And you know, also, for me, uncertainty is... And also, it's the only place where you become more pliable and things are more pliable. You know, when you're certain, you kind of know the formation, you know the pattern, you can just kind of work in an unconscious way. But there is something about uncertainty that stimulates your consciousness. You know, so for me, it's like uncertainty, yes, is uncomfortable, but that discomfort is generating within you um a heightened awareness allowing you to see what you couldn't previously previously see acknowledge what you wouldn't previously acknowledge and that means that you can create what you couldn't previously create because now you know more so you can do more you see more so you can be more
0: and this was a big revelation for me so i had these interesting stories i knew they were they were they were great characters I knew what Carl was describing there was you know, undoubtedly, axiomically true, axiomatically true. Um, but I didn't know the story behind the story. And so I got introduced to a scientist called Catherine Templar Lewis, and I can show you a clip of her too. She introduced me to a laboratory at UCL. Within the brain sciences team at UCL, there's a specialist department called Decision Making in Uncertainty. Like, what a niche. Um, and they've been in existence since 2009, really to help leaders understand how to make better decisions post-financial collapse when most of our decision-making models were designed in labs when you have rational information. How do we make good decisions when we don't have rational information? So they took a look at all the interviews and they could sit me down and go, all right, okay, what Carl's just described is neuroplasticity. In periods of prolonged uncertainty, the brain reaches for answers that it doesn't have and it can update its prediction models and uncertainty causes a malleability to take place, which on a brain scan looks like the the brain heating up, which is why it's known as um, neuroplasticity. I was like, oh crikey. And I said, well, this is really interesting because Up until your mid-20s, neuroplasticity is a natural part of adaptive learning as a human being, and then it really slows down. So one of the upsides, the benefits to your question of uncertainty is that it pushes your brain back into this state of high arousal when we can conceive of huge new concepts. So yes, Carl is absolutely scientifically correct, even though he's bringing it beautifully and poetically to to the front. So I can show Carl's story, I can then explain and then, luckily, Catherine, the, the creative scientist, incredible woman with three masters, came aboard the project. And I then get to introduce her and she explains it for the audience.
1: Neuroplasticity is basically awesome. <laughs> it's the ability for the brain to grow new pathways, right? Think of it like branches in a tree. Now, we kind of thought that that stopped after you were kids and you couldn't learn anything more. And that's bullshit. You can learn at any point in your life. You just have to make the effort to put your brain into that state where it needs to learn. It wants to learn. It can grow new pathways. And those pathways become habits, become behaviours, become thoughts, become actions. Basically, you can become anyone you want to become.
0: And that's kind of how the show rolls out, right? So we go through... This, this, this model that began to emerge when I was doing the workshops I was asking people about their experience of uncertainty got thousands of responses three thousand people came through the early piloting workshop in messy sessions and you could group them all into fear fog and stasis that's people's natural human response to uncertainty and that kind of speaks to a lot of truth and what the uncertainty expert stories allow you to move to is how fear can become a motivating force that drives you forward instead of one that stops you how fog becomes permission for taking some risks. And how the really only way to break through stasis without, you know, really breaking ourselves is this sense of trust and, and self-belief, belief in self and belief in others. And then because Catherine brought this laboratory aboard, uh, Dr. Bilevich, who's the kind of PhD and lead researcher, he put these three measures in. And, and what you and your team will get is 48 hours before the, the, the documentary goes live on the 9th of November, um, you'll get sent. It's, it's about 15 minutes worth of scientific assessment on three separate scores: your positive and negative association, your need for closure and your risk-taking. And uh, these will give you subset measures on things like decisiveness, open-mindedness, discomfort with ambiguity. I mean, a really useful level of information. And, and there's a really funny thing, right? Because I'm, I'm so non-academic, I don't i am have a degree. I'm, I get scared in these conversations. I feel really my imposter syndrome is off the chart. And Dr. Bilovich took me through these results and, and this, in this kind of like deadpan, flat, academic way uh, and thanked me. And we had the call and I went away and I was really disappointed. And I sent an email like, you know, later on, like, you know, I was really disappointed the thing didn't. And he had to call him and go, Sam, what are you talking about? It, it, it worked. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I thought we just got a 2.27. He's like, no, no, you have a statistically significant increase on all three measures it was one of the most successful psychological interventions I can't even say it. One of the other scientists on it said they thought it was, it was akin to the success rate of CBT, but delivered via a documentary. Like for the workforce, a, a kind of mass intervention that shifts people's attitudinal relationship with uncertainty, that moves them away from anxiety towards creativity, resilience, empathy. These are all the subset measures that we can handle here is the beginning of something like, you know, I, I can't oversell it. I've got to be cautious because I get overexcited. But we're on the foothills of something really remarkable, I think.
1: T- totally true. And it's, uh, it's uh, CBT, obviously, uh, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, I think is the acronym, yes. isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you, you hear a lot, uh, and we both talk a lot about the, the topic of change. You know, uh, we're, you know in, in today's uh, day and age, change is the only constant. You know, we're preparing as adults and young people for jobs uh, that don't exist with companies that haven't been founded using technology that hasn't been invented. Um, so really the only constant is change. And what separates the good from the great, I think, uh, is, is the ability to embrace that with excitement and exhilaration, uh, to imagine a future, to uh, emerge from that fog, as you put it before, um, and, and go, go create something that hasn't, uh, that hasn't been seen. Uh, before, to see around the corners and, and to embrace this sort of continuous cycle where we need to accept we're never going to be masters of, of anything because it just changes too quickly. So I think you're really um, nailing something that's just so important. I'm really looking forward to uh, to the course and sort of challenging myself and and uh, challenging the team uh, that I'm in. And this this has been a, a, a kind of a bit of a mission of yours, hasn't it? One of my absolute favorite books um, is Be More Pirate. Um, one of my colleagues uh, recommended it to me and I love it. And it's a, it's a fantastically rich, I guess it started as a metaphor, but there's actually a historical truth to it. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose piracy, uh, to, uh, to make some deeper, deeper points?
0: Sure. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's, it's been great because it, it got a really warm reception within Google. Uh, Crystallizinger was one of the first people to ke- get hands on it. And, and we've done lots of great stuff together as a result. I'm very grateful for the support, actually, that, that you and the other teams gave the book. Um, and it's because I've, I've worked with young people and young innovators and entrepreneurs an awful lot over my life. And I've often used, as many people have, like Steve Jobs famously called the, you know, I'd rather be a pirate than join the Navy as a euphemism, as a metaphor. And I never really understood what I, what I meant by that. And as I was getting ready to leave Liberty, I'd always said that I'd leave Liberty when I got old. Um, and when I was challenged on that, I said, oh, that would be 40 because I started Liberty in my 20s. And I was 40, that's never going I mean, yeah, I'll be dead by then. Um, and so I needed a vehicle that was going to get me out of Liberty. And I was also slightly frustrated, not at Liberty per se, but the industry, the industry of change. Because like you say, change is a constant. And I found I lost my belief a little bit in words like change and innovation and i think we can very often happily go to a two-day innovation off-site come up with some new names for doing the same shit and then all go back to work and <laughs> and i just couldn't do that anymore and the more post-it notes that went on the wall the more i wanted to cover myself in them and <laughs> and what became clear was that it's we can fall into a trap of thinking change and innovation is about starting something but usually it's about stopping something and that's much harder to do and and at a big level that's what we need to do in in an an In a world that is 60% over its biosphere capacity, you know, World Resource Day, I can't remember what it was called, is now in August. Every year, the the, the day that we use up the world's natural resources gets earlier. So anybody whose business model is remotely connected to something consumerist in its very core notion, who isn't just kind of backfilling sustainability principles, is going to find themselves on the wrong side of history pretty quickly so the change that's required isn't the change that we've we've known and if we get anywhere near the things the kind of change that's still advocated for we're still going to be behind where we need to be like so anything less than revolution or rebellion isn't isn't quite touching where we need to go to so that's where I started like I began the process of writing a book to challenge myself to get me out of liberty as a kind of a a vehicle for whatever was going to come next and to be really honest, I don't admit this one all the time, um, I wrote the world's most boring book. I got uh, 20,000 words into a book called Purpose First. Uh, it was fucking dismal. And it was because I was trying to be a grown-up, right? And I thought, I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to write really useful, clever language, and I'm going to... And I went away, and I, I started sharing it with people, and they're like, wow, what's happened to you? <laughs> right? And I did a, uh, a workshop on it with some young entrepreneurs I was working. They're like, what's happened, Sam? Where's all that? the rocket ships? Where's all the pirates? I went back to my desk and, and I had this note, where's all the pirates? And I thought, why do I always talk about pirates? And I went to the British Library and then to the Greenwich Maritime Museum. And I suddenly discovered that the, the history we know of pirates is not the true history of pirates. And the true history of pirates, 300 years ago, they were the social entrepreneurs uh, of their day. They were absolute pioneers um, and they're true place in history is on the was on the great history of the working class and change makers and probably somewhere between the chartists and the early uh, reformist movements and the cooperative trade unions and civil rights like that's actually the impact they made and it's not the story we tell and so by grounding their stories there there was this kind of unlock and update to the metaphor and and it turns out uh, not just a vehicle for me to kind of get my thoughts together for where change was going to go next, but then it ended up being a surprising, surprising success.
1: Well, they they were famous. Richie you? you talk about them um, as the first uh, pioneers of branding. You know, I'm we- wearing uh, my skull and crossbones. Well, actually, it's skis, not crossbones, but uh, it's the closest yeah. I could get. Um, this, this
0: my... visit with that kind of show, I take my top off and show you my pirate tattoos. <laughs>
1: Um, dual, the, the, the dual governance that they had, the social insurance uh, against injury, the uh, universal suffrage, um, very, it was a very sort of gender uh, uh, equal um, environment, um, pay equality, uh, same-sex marriage, they, they were pioneers in so many ways. And you extracted these wonderful um, codes, these pirate code uh, codes or principles from how they lived, which I just think are wonderful. The Pirate Code 1.0, Volume 1, I guess, of the book, Challenge the Establishment, Create, Innovate, and Disrupt, Fiercely Independent, Led by Principles, Honest about Profit, Highly Talented but Uh, Underappreciated, Really Recognizable. Now now the 2.0, right? The 2.0. Can you talk about your 2.0?
0: Yeah, and I, I still apply the principles of, of pirate codes to wherever I go. Um, this shared idea of trust and values-based decision-making. And it's it's much like the fear fog stasis I got to earlier on. If we don't address the reality that we're working with, then we end up, and you know you know this, you've been in enough big corporates, well-intended, but they have to write words on the walls because they can't remember that their values are simple things like honesty and trust trust right so what happened so in the pirate code 2.0 i was putting forward you know just trying to call bullshit on the things that need calling bullshit on like their business plans you know we know what that's like you know of course there are times when a plan is very useful but there's an awful lot of times when we can mistake a spreadsheet for reality because it's got some numbers on it everyone thinks right okay that's what's going to happen and that can take away our agency it can take away our accountability it can take away our ability our, our decision making and responsibility for that which is not on the plan well, that's not necessarily the best way to govern our lives. I talk about the, the citizen shift, which is the, the very brilliant concept of a man called John Alexander. Um, uh, and he charts, you know, there was once a time that we were subject and then we became consumer as a dominant narrative and, and now is the time to move to citizen, to, to be an individual with agency and to be a collective with responsibility, not determined solely by being a, a, a unit of consumption, which I really believe in. Um, and these notions are big challenges to the old rules that we face. And my, my, my argument is that in the, as we entered the 21st century, it was widely heralded that creativity is the number one skill that we all need, right? But as I look around me, or more importantly, as I think to the young people who, who my work has mainly been dedicated to, or even my children, I don't think they see a world which rewards creativity. I think they see a world which rewards conformity. And so the, the subtext is fit in and the messages stand out. And then that creates a, a dichotomy, a dichotomy of dishonesty around us, which I think is very troublesome. And so the, the real call cool is when you see this, when you see this dishonesty, it's, it's now is the time to stand up and to speak up and to, and to stand uh, up for these things that we believe in. And, and what happens when we begin to challenge the rules? And for lots of people, rule breaking sounds very scary, very risky and uncomfortable. You know, we want to protect that which is around us. But I think it's shifted. Right. And rule breaking is no longer the irresponsible thing to do. It is the responsible thing to do, because it's by following a lot of the, yeah. the, the rules that are outdated that we've got here. So, you know, this so much of the culture that governs our organisations is is just habits.
1: Just- um, Sam, I could I could talk to you all night. I'll I'll spare you that. Um, it's been a huge honour. I'm, I'm a big fanboy of yours. Uh, and uh, really looking forward to the uncertainty experts. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. You're an inspiration.
0: Thanks, man. I really, really appreciate it. And I know that, you know, the same goes to you. And I know that the, the thing that really uh, impressed me and why I've followed you is finding about how much you did outside. I know what you do inside Google is pretty innovative, but through the already mentioned awesome crystallizing, it, I found out about how much you do outside. So my respects also to you. Thank you, sir. All right, man.